and welcome to Open House, a property podcast focusing on the Geelong market, brought to you by Geelong Real Estate Co. Contact Ricky Ford at Geelong Real Estate Co. to help buy or sell your next home. And Ricky's not with us today, but we do have Matt Turner from GSC Finance. GSC Finance is also sponsoring the show this season. For all listeners of Open House, the GSC team will chip in $500 for your conveyancing uh, on your next purchase, call Matt on 0427-026-558 or follow Matt on Instagram at Geelong Broker to discuss how he can help your dreams come true through property. Matt, welcome to the Open House Show. Thank you, mate. Uh, good to be uh, yeah, a guest. Uh, obviously, been listening for a fair while now and uh, always found it really, uh, really good, actually. So, yeah, it's good to uh, jump on board and actually be a guest. And your phone and Instagram's been going off the hook since you partnered with Open House? Yeah, absolutely. No, I've got a few inquiries through. So um, definitely lots of listeners out there interested, obviously, in our offer. But um, hopefully after they hear a bit more from me today, there could be a few more inquiries. But uh, to be honest, mate, we're just happy to support local content. Um, and I think what you're doing is really good and great for education of uh, buyers out there in Geelong. So we're happy to support that, absolutely. Yeah, really appreciate your support. There has been... Well, Geelong property market's gone nuts, but it's, I think it's a great time to get you on the show because it's a really interesting landscape now with finance. Uh, we see fixed rates are going up. Uh, some variable rates are actually going down, but talk that the cash rate, which is at record lows, um, might be lifted this year. The RBA said last year that it, it wouldn't be moving the cash rate for a couple of years, but that dialogue seems to be changing of recent. Yeah, it is. It will be very, very interesting. So obviously, um, without going into the full uh, economics of it all, but uh, I think what people don't understand is fixed rates and variable rates are funded by banks very differently. Um, so we had some really, really low fixed rates over the last couple of years um, through the COVID support uh, that the RBA put um, into market so that people could access money cheap. That, uh, that support got cut off last year as the economy uh, improved, but now, now those uh, fixed rate uh, investors are now looking to obviously make a bit more money out of them. So that they have gone up substantially, um, and then obviously variable rates now uh, competition within banks has never been hotter. So they're seeing a real opportunity to keep compete, and it's really a race to the bottom on on variable rates. So there's uh, one lender just come out this week or late last week with a 1.89 percent um, variable rate loan, wow. which yeah, is is insane. But um, but yeah, there is a lot of talk now that variable rates will increase. But I wouldn't be rushing out to fix rates just yet. Um, I think there's still going to be a fair gap between a fixed and a variable rate for the next um, next little while at least. But it will be definitely a watch this space for the next yeah probably twelve months at least. So in other words, you've probably missed the boat if you haven't fixed your rate yet. I think I fixed about three or four months ago at two point zero four. Did I get a good deal um, or uh, yeah, where have fixed rates moved since then? Uh, yeah, look, you got a good deal. Look, to be honest, there was some better rates out there. Generally, if you're a new to bank client, you'll get a better rate. But um, 2.04, mate, like it's it's still a fantastic rate. And I think there's a lot of people that took advantage of those uh, extremely low fixed rates we had. There was a period of time where the majors were offering 1.99 over five years. So if you had a snag, one of those, I reckon you've done pretty well. Um, fixed rates now, you're looking above 3%. Um, some oh. banks for a three-year are now three and a half. So, um, yeah, the I think the ship's well and truly sailed on the fixed rates at the moment. 
Um, we're not even entering dialogue with clients about fixed rates just yet, just because there is a sizable gap between the variable and the fixed. But, you know, we consistently review our clients and make sure that they're on the best, um, you know, the best rate and the best structure for them. So I think, yeah, it'd be definitely, definitely no fixing at the moment, but, you know, you never know what's going to happen in future. All right. Well, we did get a lot of questions on the Instagram. So I want the listeners out there to be able to ask uh, some questions and get some answers from you, your insights into mortgage rates and lending. Uh, Dave Gladman, thoughts on the next two years of interest rates? What would you do with loans at the moment? Um, Probably just going back to what I just, yeah, just said before, Um, I would be going variable and uh, betting the market a little bit at the moment, uh, just because there is that gap between the variable and the fixed rate. So they the RBA would normally increase in 0.25% uh, increases. So every time they increase, you've got to think that's four or five rate increases between um, what the current variable rate is and what the current fixed rate is, depending on sort of what time frame we're looking. Uh, so yeah, it's got a fair, fair bit of catching up to do. And that's assuming that there's no further changes in the fixed rates as well. So um, I would I would be sort of riding the roller coaster a little bit at the moment, just for the next sort of little bit at least, and then sort of reviewing maybe twelve months time to see where we're at. But right now, um, variables the way to go. Ollie GV one asks: Are there any benefits going with a big four bank compared to a smaller bank advertising better rates? Yeah, that's a good question, Ollie, and I did uh, respond on the Instagram there, but I think. It's a bit of a it's a bit of an interesting one. So your big four bank will never give you the best rate um, on the rate sheet. So they are very much negotiation based um, conversations that we have to have with big four. Um, so you, I guess when you say the advertised rates with the smaller lender are generally better, and that that is true, um, we can actually negotiate better rates with the big four. Now. In terms of advantages with going with a big four bank, um, obviously there's a perception that um, your money's a bit safer. Uh, it's not generally the case, but you know a lot of people do have those perceptions. Uh, branch networks, um, for those banks that still have a couple of branches around the Geelong area, uh, if you do like to deal with um, your bank face-to-face, obviously there's that advantage. But I guess because they are larger, they do take more risks. So generally their lending um Criterias and policies can be a little bit more generous and they do look a little bit more outside the box. Um, and then if you're self-employed or operate a business, generally they'll have, um, I guess, more opportunity for businesses to borrow money. Um, so, yeah, look, it just depends on your situation. And we certainly take into account all lenders, whether they be a, a regional bank or a big bank or a credit union or a, um, a non-bank lender that does, you know, some of this more specialised lending. So, yeah, Oli, I would... Um, yeah, definitely reach out and have a chat about your situation because it, it does really depend on what you're looking to achieve. We'll talk about one of those situations. Chris Bryson, 18, asked, what's the best way uh, to get an investment loan when having just started a business and don't have months slash years of financial statements? Yeah, good question. Um, to be honest, <clears throat> it is very difficult. Uh, we do need to sort of have at least 12 months of trade under your belt before any bank would consider the income um, that you're generating from that business. But it also depends what else you're doing. Like, are there any, um, you know, second jobs that you're doing? Is the self-employed income a side hustle or is it your main your main go? Um, so, yeah, it will depend on the bank. Look, there are low-doc options as well, but generally the um, low-doc providers 
will want to see that you've at least had your AVN for at least 12 months. Um, because they're doing a very small assessment on your income, they're not doing the full bank assessments. Uh, generally, the rates are high. You do have to pay additional fees to for the risk. But, you know, there are options out there. Again, it just depends on your situation. It's really hard for me to sort of give it a definitive answer. Um, there are lending solutions out there for everyone. So uh, again, that's another one. Uh, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, but but do reach out and have a chat because uh, it, it does come down to what your personal circumstances are more than anything. Yeah. Uh, Dave Gladman asks, do brokers look at all banks or are there some lenders that don't work with brokers? Yeah, there are. So uh, we've got a panel of, I think it's about 50 odd lenders. So there's, um, and they, they range between um, your big banks that sort of advertise heavily. There's some smaller banks, the regional banks, credit unions, but like big banks like Bendigo Bank, for example, don't deal with brokers at the moment. Um, there's a couple of other smaller banks that don't deal with brokers either. Um, and a lot of your local credit unions don't deal with brokers. So we, um, try and work with as many as possible. Um, I hold accreditations with, I think, virtually all of the options available to me on our panel of lenders. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely um, opportunities out there for us to, um, you know, to, to work with as many lenders as possible. Um, and then each broker has access to different lenders depending on who they are licensed through. So the lenders that I've got access to might be different to someone down the road. So um, we try and work with as many as possible. Um, sometimes we can go off panel as they call it. So um, get special permission to work with a bank that's not approved for our use. But, um, but yeah, we do have a massive array of different lenders. But I, I would say the outlier there is Bendigo Bank. They don't deal with brokers. Um, they never have, but they do through Adelaide Bank who they is one of their subsidiaries so um but yeah it's a bit of a strange one Benigo. but i do believe they're looking at um, maybe going to the broker market next year and i think i saw a stat might have come out last year that something like uh, two-thirds of all lending uh, comes through brokers so uh, brokers really have um, picked up a lot of business over the last few years they have yeah and it is uh it is the current stat so the mfwa who's our i guess uh so the mortgage finance association of australia so they're our industry um, body um who we all have to be a member of an industry body there's a few others but mfwa is the largest by far they do a, a lending report every year and yeah they did say the market share of brokers has increased to 66. Um, when I entered banking, it was about 50-50 and that was five years ago. Um, so the market share has increased. And to be honest, I think with branch closures, um, I think the major banks will be our best referrers because, um, you know, a lot of those clients that have dealt with someone face-to-face -face in the past won't have that option anymore and they'll look for other options. Um, yeah, so I feel like um, as more and more branches close, uh, yeah, we're going to get busier, which is good. Um and I think everyone's looking for, you know, the best solution for them now. It's not as easy or it's not as, um, you know, uh, straightforward as just going to the local branch and having a conversation. There's so many different variables in lending now. Um, and we can provide all the solutions, whereas someone at the branch can only provide one. So, um, yeah, I'll, I would be surprised if we didn't hit about 80% market share in the next few years. Matt, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Open House is proudly supported by Matt Turner and the team at GSC Finance Solutions, Geelong's premier independent mortgage brokers. Whether it be refinancing, purchasing your first home, next home or an investment, the team at GSC Finance are specialists in making your dream a reality. For all listeners of Open House, 
the GSC team will chip in $500 for conveyancing on your next purchase. Call Matt on 0427 026 558 or follow Matt on Instagram at Geelong Broker to discuss how we can help your dreams come true through property. Welcome back to Open House, brought to you by Geelong Real Estate Co. Ricky Fort, who's not here today, busy uh, selling houses and getting ready. I'm not sure why he's here, actually. We might ask him that on the next podcast. It sounds like there's a bit of drama in the real estate game. Also sponsored by GSE Finance, Matt Turner's here with me today. We're talking mortgages and lending. Thanks for joining us again, Matt. Uh, one question here from Adam, Adam J. Boyce. I don't want to give up my rainy day money in the bank, how can I borrow and keep my savings intact? Very good question. So uh, again, uh, there's a few different options that we can look at there. So um, first of all, do you have other property? If so, we can leverage the other property and the equity that you may have with that to um, to borrow for the next one. So you can actually fund uh, generally 100% of the purchase price plus costs if you do have um, the security to sort of support it. So that's, um, yeah, one way we can do it. So we can, you know, leverage existing property. Um, if you don't have other property in a first home buyer, um, we can have a chat to mum and dad. Um, sometimes a family guarantee might be a good option for you. Um, so family guarantees when your parents um, sort of say to you, hey, I'm happy to pledge your um, our property as a security for the bank. So if anything does go wrong, obviously the bank have a bit of backup there, um, you know, to, to claim against if, if the loan does go bad. Uh, generally requires a fair bit of a legal advice um, for, the, uh, for the guarantors, but, you know, that is an option, you know, if you're looking to get in the market and you don't have, um, if you don't have that, um, you know, that cash or you want to keep the cash, then, you know, we can look at uh, using equity from other sources. But, yeah, there's no such thing as 100% uh, loan. So um, we need to find some other sort of security there to be able to support that. So if you don't want to let go of the cash, um, yeah, I'd suggest sort of looking at where where else we can um, get some property to support the loan. And I think I'm right in saying there are some lenders that won't go parental guarantor on a property where, their parents are living in it or the, the property might have a mortgage. So that's where a broker comes in handy. You would know which uh, lenders have an appetite to, to go parental guarantor. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So not every bank will do a parental guarantee. Um, some won't do a parental guarantee if the parents aren't working. Um, some will only do it, as you said, on an investment property. Um, so yeah, it is really important that you have a chat to someone like myself about your situation and, you know, um, what you're thinking of doing because, yeah, not every bank will do it the way that you think you might want to do it. So it is really important to have that conversation, that professional advice. Alec Varma asks, what's the best way to use equity in your loan structure? Um, depends what you're looking at doing. So, I mean, if you're looking at using it for another property purchase, then, you know, we can access the equity um, by way of an equity release. So a separate loan account that sits in your internet banking. And then you've got the cash there to put towards the next property purchase. Alternatively, if you have the deposit available and you just want to avoid the lender's mortgage insurance, then we can actually just um, uh, lump it all in together. So actually combine all your loans into the one application. Still have separate accounts, but um, but yeah, it's called cross-securitization. It's something that um, has been around for quite a while. Um, not all banks do it, so it is... Um, you know, important to select the right one. Um, more uncommon than common now for banks not to 
do cross securitization because it is does put them in a strong position. Um, but yeah, there are some important things to realize as well, especially if you are planning on selling a property in the future. So again, worth having a conversation. In an ideal world, if you do have two properties and loans on both, there are ways where you can shift the equity across and uh, if you're able to get an LVR under 80% on both properties, you're able to uncross them and, and that um, gives you an opportunity to um, get the best deal for each property. Yeah, absolutely. And when you work with someone like myself, it's not a transaction. So we don't just look at your situation now. We we do plan for future. So, um, and that's the same with the parental guarantees and you know other sort of things that we look at where we are leveraging equity from another source. It's not a set and forget strategy. Um, and particularly if you do have plans in the future to potentially sell a property or look at, um, you know, obviously releasing the parent, uh, the family pledge and, you know, um, giving mum and dad their title back and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, we, we would certainly continue to actually check in and make sure that the LVR is where it needs to be. Um, banks want to see it below 80. Um, if it's below 70, even better. But um, but yeah, look, if we can have the properties stand by themselves, then it, it could make sense. And it might actually make sense to be with multiple banks. So actually have your home loan with, um, you know, a, a big four bank, and then maybe the investment loan with a, with a smaller bank that might have a better rate for investors. So um, yeah, there, there are so many different strategies that we can put in place. But I think if your broker is not reaching out to you and having a chat every couple of years at least, then you probably need to find someone else because there is so much that changes and so many opportunities you might be missing out on um, by not actually reviewing the home loan. We're talking with Matt Turner from GSC Finance. GSC, uh, the team at GSC will chip in $500 for conveyancing on your next purchase. So you can call Matt on 0427026558 or follow Matt on Instagram at Geelong Broker. Your, your mobile phone's out there everywhere now, Matt. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about equity just real quickly. Obviously, prices in Geelong have gone up, so most people would see the value of their homes gone up. Should, should uh, those um, people out there that are interested in investing um, or buying investment property in the future, should they be releasing that equity up to 80%, parking it in an offset? And, and what are the risks associated with that? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a good strategy, particularly if you are looking at investing in the future, because um, you do need to still have a deposit ready. So um, as, as Ricky will be able to attest, um, most vendors want 10% down. Um, sometimes you can negotiate 5%. So if you don't have a lump cash available, it's really hard to actually get, um, get that next property. So whilst prices are high, um, it is like it is a good opportunity to sort of release that equity, park it in the offset or in the redraw. Um, and yeah, just having a lump of money ready for when you are um, successful in purchasing the next property. In terms of risks, um, obviously you're going to be carrying a bit more debt that you'll need to make repayments on, um, even though you won't be making interest commitments to it. Um, if it is a principal and interest loan, you still need to obviously pay back the principal of that um, cash you released. If we do have a situation where um, property uh, prices decrease, then you know your property, your LVR might actually get above 80%, which might limit your ability to borrow again in future for other purposes. So. Um, yeah, it is obviously a strategy that's worth looking at, but yeah, it is important to sort of know that you are taking on more debt. Uh, the banks will see that debt 
um, and when you're looking at um, you know potentially buying buying a new car or um, buying the next investment property, that will get factored in even if you haven't drawn it. So we just need to make sure that when you're releasing the equity, we're doing it for the right reasons and doing it in the right way so that it doesn't impact your ability to borrow in future. And you mentioned the car. That might be one of the risks if you do release, say, uh, 25 or 50 grand in equity and it's sitting in an offset, but then... Yep. You decide, well, I've got the money there. I might buy myself a new car. That um, is counterproductive. You're actually lending to buy that car. Yeah, exactly right. And look, so many people do it. They do chuck their car on the um, on the home loan. Um, there, there are good ways to do it. So we can actually reduce the loan term for the car loan. So, um, you know, we can still do it over a seven-year term um, if you want to access, say, 25K to, to buy the new car. Um, but, you know, if we're doing it on a 30-year term, you don't, have the yeah the discipline so that you uh, you know don't pay it off then that car becomes uh, not a twenty five thousand dollar purchase it can become fifty sixty seventy thousand uh, dollars if you don't pay it off and then you might have already sold it uh, way before you actually make that final payment so if that is something you're looking at doing then uh, yeah definitely we we'll, we would need to uh, factor that in and and reduce the loan term for you. All in all, though, it, it's a pretty common strategy and, and the benefits probably outweigh the risk for someone who does have that discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just making sure that the discipline is there and you're doing it for the right reasons, absolutely. Um, if you are someone that does see cash and like to spend, maybe not a strategy for you, but, you know, we can we can look at other ways um, to sort of, uh, I, I guess, make it less uh, less risky for your, um, for your um, spending habits, so... You probably do see clients too where they've gone from two incomes to one income. What's your your general advice for for a couple that have gone down to one income or are relying on sort of parental leave for a period of time? Um, My advice is that it doesn't preclude you from borrowing. Um, You just need to have a plan in place for when the, I guess that second income is going to come back into play. If it's going to be a few years and, you know, there's might be potentially more children coming along or you just think that you want that time to spend with the child um, before you return to work or, or whatever the scenario might be, you know, it's uh, not always uh, about children. But um, as long as there's a plan in place uh, and you do have the ability, um, I guess, to meet and service the debt that you've currently got um, and, you know, any potential future debt, um, banks are pretty uh, accommodating now. Um to, I guess, allow you to borrow for, um, you know, for future, even if that income isn't there at the moment. So, um, you know, if you've got someone that's uh, on 12 months mat leave, um, understanding that they might get 13 weeks from the employer and then 13 weeks from Centrelink, and then, you know, there might be a gap uh, where there's no income, but there might be um, some cash um, savings there, then the lender will take that into account and sort of say, look, I'm comfortable that you'll be able to meet the commitment over that period of time. Um, we're happy to lend on the basis that you will return to work in 12 months' time in a certain um, pay and condition. So, yeah. And what what's the appetite from lenders at the moment regarding interest-only loans? Um, look, it's a bit better than it was a few years ago. Um, yeah, it comes down to, I guess, fundamentally, if it makes sense, so they've got to lend responsibly. So someone that's coming to um, ask for an interest-only loan on a on an owner-occupier home um, probably going to get asked a lot of questions, particularly if they are showing signs of hardship. Um, you might find that those um, loans might be declined, and they might offer a principal and interest um, arrangement instead. Um, for investors, look, there's no real pushbacks as long as it makes sense and as long as you can service the debt. 
one thing that with interest-only lending that might get forgotten about a little bit, um, your repayments that they're servicing the debt on are higher, um, even though your actual repayment's lower um, because they are taking in a 25-year loan term, for example, on a five-year interest-only period. Um, so that gives you less time to pay back the principal. Um, I know some investors don't like paying back debt, but eventually you'll have to. Um, the bank will want their money back eventually. So, um, yeah, just keep that in mind, um, you know, if you are looking at interest-only. But I guess personally our, our want is for everyone to pay back their debt. So, you know, we, we encourage everyone to go principal and interest as long as it makes sense to them, um, just so that they, they can realise more equity and, you know, when they do choose to sell the property or retire, they've actually got a, a you know, potentially a fully paid off asset, so. Yeah, and, and that's partly a, a tax question too. So if you've got a good accountant, they'll be able to give you advice in that space, whether, uh, whether it's actually worth the, uh, the squeeze of the orange to um to mm. to aim for that interest only loan or whether a P and I loan where and and rates are currently a, a bit sharper with the P and I loans at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with P and I lending, you're always going to get a better rate. Um, there are more, I guess, more restrictions on banks, and they have to hold more capital against the interest only loan. Um, that was sort of set set up by the regulators about five or six years ago, I think, um, to sort of slow down that interest-only lending. So it is more expensive. Um, the gap between a P&I rate and an interest-only rate has um, narrowed substantially over the last probably two years. Um, it used to be very, very expensive to do interest-only to the point where it didn't really make sense. Um, they've sort of swung back the other way and it sort of is starting to make sense again to do the interest-only lending. But again, with, um, you know, if you're doing it for tax purposes, always have a chat to your um, tax advisor first. Um, we can sort of give you a bit of a guidance of what the repayments, everything will be, and then you can sort of obviously work out whether um, whether you can sort of bank it work with the rental payments and all that sort of thing. But um, yeah, we can we can't we can sort of give you some guidance. But uh, yeah, if you do want the tax advice, have a chat to the accountant. Uh, Dave Gladman asks, how is servicing calculated when you have investment properties and rental income? Will the bank simply accept a hundred percent of the? Uh, estimated rent or do they uh, factor in a little buffer there? They do. There's a buffer. Um, so generally a bank will take about 80% of the, um, the investment income, so the rental income. Um, that accounts for your agent's fees and other charges and all that sort of thing uh, and potential for downtime as well and the, and the rental if the tenant vacates or, sorry, I should say the renter vacates now. Um, got to use the right terminology now that their laws have changed. Um <laughs> So, so, yeah, most lenders will factor in 80% for that. Some are about 70, just depending on, obviously, the, the lending policy of that lender. Um, in terms of expenses, uh, there will be some expenses that will get added to your living expenses that will get taken into account. Um, and then, obviously, if you're doing interest-only or P&I debt as well. Some lenders get really complicated with their um, calculations and sort of add back negative gearing benefits and all that sort of thing. Um, some are pretty simple and just take the... Uh, rental income is uh, tax-free, so it's just a really simple calculation. Um, but again, uh, it just depends on your situation. Um, we find that um, some of the best um, banks for investment loans might not necessarily meet your needs, so it is important to sort of uh, have a look at a few different options before going ahead with any investment lending. But yeah, just important to note, you won't 100% of your rental income won't be taken to your account, um, and yeah, there, there will be some expenditure that you'll need to factor into your um, 
to your living expenses as well that will get added, added into that equation. Are banks looking at anything in particular when it comes to spending? Is Afterpay still uh, something that's on their radar or are they looking at Netflix subscriptions? Are you noticing anything in, in particular that banks aren't really happy with spending-wise? Um, nothing that's really been highlighted to me. Um, I think, like, we obviously, we're pretty thorough with our clients who do have those conversations up front. Um, look, I would just suggest if there's anything in there, just have a chat to your broker or your banker about that first. Um, don't be, I guess, scared to sort of say, hey, I've got an afterpay account. Um, as long as it's disclosed and, you know, we can see that there's no uh, bad conduct or anything like that in the payments and there's wait fees or anything like that, generally it's okay. Um, a lot of people say that, oh, you know, afterpay is bad. Uh, it can be because it can reduce your borrowing capacity, but a bank's not going to decline your loan because you've got an afterpay account. Um, if you're someone that is addicted to payday lending or something like that, um, I would suggest that those sorts of things, um, if they see repayments to a payday lender, um, that's pretty much a red flag and you won't be getting a loan until you sort of clear up that. Um, gambling and drinking. Um, again, I haven't really had anyone sort of flag anything to me um, that there are problems, but certainly if you're a gambler or a drinker, um, those sorts of things can be can be red flagged by a bank um, because it could uh, potentially show, a, you know, a potential for addiction in the future. Um, but apart from that, I would just say just be as honest as possible. Don't hot, try and hide it, anything because the bank will find it. Um, and, yeah, just um, just make sure that you're saving, saving money, um, particularly if you're looking to enter the market. Um, the bank's going to want to see that you, your savings history and all that sort of thing. So if you're someone that clears out the account every week, um, they're probably going to say, hey, you're not really ready to, to borrow just yet. Um, how about try saving some money? Particularly first home buyers, what I generally say is even if you're renting, um, generally your mortgage repayment is going to be a little bit higher than what your rent, rent is. So we need to at least save the gap in that rental. Um, so the rent and the mortgage repayment. Or if you're living at home, just save a full mortgage repayment every month. And then that way um, you can quite clearly show the bank that your lifestyle and the mortgage will, will sort of work together. I was going to ask that. So banks are still taking in uh, rental payments as... Um... Uh, example that they can cover a mortgage, but obviously if their mortgage is higher than what they're paying in rent, they have to display that they're saving a bit more on top of that as well. Yeah, definitely. So it's uh, it's not sort of like a hard and fast policy, but it is a bit of a sense check for a lender. So, um, you know, particularly if you're using a parental guarantee, you don't have those savings behind you that, you know, we need to avoid lender's mortgage insurance or or even, you know, lower the cost of the um you know, lower the cost of the insurance premium. Um, so they just want to, you know, is it, does this make sense? Can this person actually service the debt? Um, and particularly if we're using a parental guarantee, if there's no savings at all, they're probably going to say, hey, we're, we're not comfortable that you're going to be able to do this because if you're living at home rent-free, you're relying on mum and dad for a guarantee, um, but you can't save, then, you know, how are you going to meet your home loan repayment? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so there is a little bit there um, and genuine savings, you know, with rental payments and all that sort of thing, they do take that into account, but you still need to be able to save at least that 5% deposit um, as well. Last one uh, on the questions from Dave Gladman. How do brokers get paid? A um, couple of different ways. Majority of uh, our income comes from the bank. So they actually pay us a, uh, a commission. So 
Um, we get paid two different commissions. We get a upfront commission, so that's on the settlement of your loan, um, and then we get paid a trial commission. So that's every month um, they will pay us a, a small amount. Uh, it's not it's not going to sort of pay the bills, but um, but a small amount just to sort of help. Um, I guess, cover our time to help you service the loan. So um, if you do have any questions about your loan or want to sort of chat about rates or, you know, structuring it better and all that sort of thing, um, that sort of is designed to help cover our time to, to help manage your loan for you. Um, some barricas will charge an upfront fee as well, um, depending on the situation. So if we know that you're going to have a debt short term, um, we, so with commissions and upfront commissions, there are they are subject to clawback by the lender. So if you pay out your debt within a certain period of time, they'll take the commission back off us and we earn nothing. Um, so a broker might counteract that by actually charging an upfront fee. Um, some brokers actually charge fees to do pre-approvals as well because they often don't go ahead. And again, we don't get paid till it settles. So um, at GSC, um, we we're not really charging fees. Um, we do um, sort of have conversations with our clients about what their plans are. Um, and if we know that they're going to be holding a debt for less than 12 months, then, you know, we will charge a fee because, um, because we know that we won't get paid by the lender because they'll take all the money back off us. So um, for some lenders, that's up to two years. Um, so if you pay out the loan or refinance or go and see someone else or anything like that that's our that's our income for, for your loan that um, does get taken back so um a lot of brokers are pretty loud and say this is unfair look it's just the cost of doing business um and we factor all that in obviously and have that conversation with you but um but yeah we we yeah we get paid by the bank um all banks pretty much pay the same um there are some that pay slightly more than others but that doesn't influence our decision because we are legally bound to act in your best interests um, and we just do it because we're good people anyway so um, yeah don't um, don't think that uh, we're making a recommendation because the commissions are better because generally they're just basically all the same. I think that's extremely transparent for anyone out there in Geelong. Uh, Matt have you got an office where people can come and see you or still working from home at the moment? Yeah look I'm three days uh, three days in the office two days at home um, still preferring Zoom because we don't have a lot of space in the office at the moment. We're growing uh, we're growing too fast. But, yeah, we do have a meeting room. We're in Grovedale on Torquay Road at 126, just before the BP. Um, so, yeah, if you want to make a time to catch up, we can do it on Zoom, over the phone or in the office. Um, alternatively, like if you're, you know, wanting to grab a coffee, we can do all that too. So, um, yeah, just make a time and come and catch up. But we are um, locally based in Grovedale. So, yeah, we're here for anyone to come and have a chat. Lenders still doing uh, cash back at the moment? They certainly are. Um, not as generous as they were. Like we had some clients clean up and get like 20 grand for refinancing heap of properties and all that sort of thing. Uh, generally, it's between two and 4,000 depending on the lender. Some lenders aren't doing it all. Um, but yeah, just there are different qualifying um, amounts and timeframes and all that sort of thing to be aware of. So just make sure you check the fine print before you... Um, yeah, before you rely on any cashbacks. So generally it's 250 grand refinance from a, another lender. So if it's one like Westpac that own a few different um, brands, then um, if you're refinancing within that group, it doesn't count. Um, but if you're going from say Westpac to CBA, you'll get a, a, a cashback there, which I think at the moment CBA is doing 2000, Westpac are doing three. Um, Bank of Melbourne, I think, are doing four. Um, and there's some other lenders out there sort of doing various amounts as well. Um, ANZ will actually give you a cashback for purchases if you're a first-time buyer as well. So, um, so yeah, just have a chat to us. And that will obviously cover any fees and charges and that that you've got um, that, um, 
for the refinance because refinancing isn't free. Um, but you know, that's um, 3K will, um, or potentially more or slightly less, will um, definitely cover all those fees and charges for you. And you'll probably have a bit left over to go and have some fun with as well. So, um, definitely worth having a conversation about that. Um, and yeah, we can, we generally don't recommend on the basis of cashback, but generally, yeah, if we get a really good rate and there's cashback there, it might actually mean that it's the best, um, best option for the client. So, yeah, definitely. And we're still in February. We do like a crystal ball. So what's your mm-hmm. prediction? Will we see the cash rate rise at some point this year? What month? And do you have any predictions on Geelong property? Um, yeah, look, I don't know is the answer about the crystal ball. I wish I had one because it would be um, it'd be really interesting. So I think there's going to be a lot of change this year. Um, obviously, there's a fair bit happening in Europe at the moment. Um, so that might cause shockwaves through the economy. Um, we're also improving, uh, obviously, with COVID-19 and all that sort of thing. Um, so all those inflationary pressures might they might ease or they might get worse with obviously some uncertainty. So I think if inflation continues on its way, we might see the Reserve Bank increase to 0.25 from 0.1. I don't think they're going to go 4.25. And if we do say it'll be probably October um, is my tip. Um, They have been really conservative for a long time and I don't think they're going to change. One thing I think we need to start seeing is some wage growth. Um, if wages don't grow, then uh, with inflation, then um, you know it would be catastrophic to the market if they increase rates. I think so. I think that's going to be one thing they're going to have to watch quite closely is that wage growth as much as the um, as the inflation. What that will mean for property, it just means it's going to be harder for people to get access to money. Um, so the higher the rates go, the the tighter the money is. So um, that might just mean that we might not have the level of growth that we've had the last few years. We'll probably just stagnate a little bit. I don't see that being drop unless there's something substantial that shocks the market or anything like that. But I think Geelong property is always good to invest, um, you know, um, in, in their region. Uh, I don't think you're going to lose substantially. Probably over time has always increased. Um, so, yeah, I think um, it, we're in for a wild ride no matter what happens, I think. I think we've just got to get comfortable with the uncertainty um, at the moment. So, yeah. Matt, thanks for your time today. As most people know, they can find you on Instagram at Geelong Broker. Again, appreciate you sponsoring the podcast this year. Uh, But thanks for your time. And if uh, you're right, if we do see the cash rate move in um, sometime between July and October, we'll have to get, get you back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Always available for you, mate. So, yeah, just reach out. Um, and if there are any questions, please, yeah, drop a DM or something like that on the on Instagram or give us a call. Um, yeah, happy to have a chat about anything. And even if it's not, um, you know, you're not looking actively at a loan at the moment, we're, we're always happy to um, provide education all that sort of thing. So, yeah, just um, reach out and let's have a chat. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Open House sponsored by GSC Finance, Matt Turner and the team at GSC Finance and Open House Thanks for uh, joining us today. We'll catch you next fortnight. Thanks for tuning in to Open House. We've got more coming your way. Give us a follow on Instagram at Open House Podcast and on Facebook. And please remember, all advice is general in nature. If you are looking to purchase a home or sell a home, please seek professional advice.